0: The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give.
1: Hi, this is Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 136.
2: Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong.
1: Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope.
0: This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity.
3: That's not how the Force works.
1: Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing.
2: Remember, the Force will be with you always
1: hey everyone i'm angela Ciolana and you are listening to the secrets of star wars where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far far away including the deeper themes and meanings today we're diving into episode nine of the andor series joining me today are well first of all we have our old pal mike dense hi mike hello Good to have you with us. Also with us are uh, two of our newest panelists. Uh, First, uh, one that you met last week, Catherine Laffrey. Welcome back, Catherine. Hello. Thank you. And we also have a newbie to the crew with us, John Coral. Welcome, John. Hello. (laughs) Great to have you. Excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so before we dive into Andor, we do want to get to know our our newbies. So... um, Catherine, we'll start with you, ladies first. Go ahead and tell us about yourself and what is your relationship with Star Wars.
3: Uh I'm a sacred artist working. I have my own uh website and sales that I do in sacred art, mostly uh chalice palls for priests and some paintings. Uh the work behind me is on this side. That's not mine. That's uh <laughs> that's my professor's. Um And I go to uh, Pontifex University, where I'm studying to get my master's in sacred art. And how I got into Star Wars, what was I, seven, eight years old, standing in line for hours outside the little tiny movie theater with my parents to go see it. And (laughs) fell in love instantly and remember the great debates in third or fourth grade, whatever it was, when uh, everybody was wondering if Darth Vader survived you know, he had no place to go back to. He's dead. No, he's alive. No, he's dead. So, so yeah. And then as I got older, just loved when the movies were re-shown. And then my older sister, who was not a biggest Star Wars fan as I am, gave me a book. And it was uh, Timothy Zahn's first book in the now not canon Thrawn series. And I just went crazy for it. And I've been reading all of his books ever since and rereading the one behind me. I'm still rereading the, the new canon Thron* book. So,
1: Very cool. Very cool. All right. So now we've got John here with us. John, how about you? What's your relationship with Star Wars?
0: Well, I, uh, I was three years old when I first saw Star Wars. And it was the original Star Wars movie at the theater. And when I look back on it, you know, I just remember... Like little bits and pieces of, you know, the stars, you know, the Star Destroyer, the music, Darth Vader, and then just things in and out. But then what happened was, is, you know, got big into the toys because of the age of three and four or five. And then when I was six years old for my birthday, my parents took me and some friends to see the Empire Strikes Back. And that was <laughs> pretty exciting. And kind of like Catherine, the big discussion was how can. Darth Vader be Luke's father, you know, <laughs> as you would be at school and stuff to talk about it. And then I remember seeing Return of the Jedi three times, and, and when I was nine, and I was thinking about that that a little bit, and I was thinking, you know, I really liked seeing it then because I thought there's no more Star Wars coming. This is it, you know, because you know this was the sequ- you know the third movie, and you know the Emperor's dead, you know, but Darth Vader's dead but he turned good and all that kind of stuff and then I didn't get into too much with uh, the prequels later on and stuff Um, I did like that Timothy Zahn series though in the early 90s Um, but then when um, I did see Phantom Menace at the theaters but not much else after that but it wasn't until then afterwards with the um, with the you know the sequel trilogy and then getting into Secrets of Star Wars more with that And then, of course, the Disney Plus shows I've really gotten into with the live action. And then, unintentionally, we got into a lot of Disney trips lately. So I've been to Galaxy's Edge multiple times. I've been on the Rise of the Resistance and Millennium Falcon, uh, you know, Smuggler's Run at least three three times each. And then it culminated this past May when we got to actually do the Galactic Star Cruiser stay and go through all that. So that's where... (laughs) now you know it's like i don't know every time we say we're not going to go to disney again it always seems like there's a trip coming around but this might have been the uh i mean that we were you know a big trip at this point so um wow. but yeah so that was really cool and so that's my story
1: well lots of fun i know that we're definitely going to be um interviewing you on some <laughs> later show about that experience, the Galactic yeah. Star Cruiser experience, definitely. Yeah. Um, but now let's jump right into our mission here for tonight, which is episode nine of Andor. And it was called Nobody's Listening with an exclamation point at the end. <laughs> and the official kind of short summary is, under intense scrutiny while imprisoned, Cassian makes allies plan and is impossible escape okay so we always start off with first impressions here um mike we'll start with you what was your first impression of this episode
2: uh, um it was very constricting <laughs> <laughs> uh i i was uh i enjoyed um the back and forth between Vale and bix uh with the right before she was going to be tortured and you know uh She's trying to not Vale and um, Deirdre and Bix. Excuse me. A lot of names. Um, mm-hmm. I you you quiz me on the original three, and I, I'll know the people in the cantina. But <laughs> you to talk to me about all these people, and I have to have my uh, internet it's here. It's all open new. For, right? It's okay. It's also all new. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, Deirdre is you know being um, the Darth Vader to uh, Bix's Leia, and I really liked how they uh, mirrored the shot when the door shut and went to the person's boots walking away. And that was exactly the shot they used when they shut the door on Leia and Vader and went, and went off. So um, that was a cool little, um, uh, whatchamacallit, Easter egg kind of Mm -hmm, homage mm -hmm. thing there. Mm -hmm. Um, So you had that and, uh, you know, as she said, well, you're not going to believe me anyway, so we'll we'll just torture you, you know, and then, and then you're listening to uh, the doctor explain what the torture is, which is, I' uh, bizarre, uh but I guess we'll get into that later oh yeah and um and then and then I'm spending a lot of the time trying to figure out um what they're building in the prison uh and and I have my theory that uh of what it might be uh so and we okay. can get in you know get into that too so and um i I haven't looked i had not looked at the cast, so when I saw andy uh as as like the main prison I'm like, oh my gosh. That's so cool. What a, you know, that's to have him in there. I mean, that's, that's really cool. And I'm like, I'm like going to my daughter, like that's Gollum. That's, you know, snow that's, you have, that's a lot of different people. And, you know, she remembers him from uh, the original Black Panther too. So yeah, he's been around. So that was kind of neat.
1: Oh yeah. It was an exciting episode and yeah, last couple of episodes we've been in prison, although it's, it's. It's felt like, yeah, very constricting, definitely. All right, uh, John, how about you? What was your first impression of this episode?
0: Uh, well, this was kind of what I thought you'd we would have seen more throughout the series. I think because I liked it because, I mean, it wasn't a lot of like action in the sense of like episode three and six, but I mean, there was obviously plenty of tension and suspense and stuff. But it seemed like the scenes went quicker you know there were shorter scenes but they provided lots of information you know or a lot of detail that filled in some gaps like mon mothma scenes you know it's like there weren't many long ones but you know finding out about her cousin and that background you know more about her background with tay and then you understand how the her husband and uh, daughter feel or why they react a certain way her reservations about the rebellion you know it's like and then you know it was only about a minute long, maybe. And then you find out just, you know, the the conflict in the Senate, you know, the loyalists and the people who are for the rebellion kind of thing or don't want the emperor's overreach. So it was like there was just a lot of things that were like, you know, or even Cyril. He wasn't in long, but you learned a lot more about his feelings. <laughs> you know what I mean? it's like there were a lot of sm- I mean, it was just I thought that was what was really good was. There were a lot of scenes, but they really filled in gaps or answered some questions. And, you know, so it didn't feel like they dragged and dragged and dragged sometimes like in some of the prior episodes. It seemed like mm. it seemed like they kept going pretty good, even when the 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 action wasn't that exciting. It was still exciting. It was still fun to watch. So,
1: OK. All right. Well, I'm curious to hear Catherine's perspective, because. On your first episode with us last week, I heard that you were not such a fan of this series. So was this episode the same for you or did it do anything different for you? What was your first impression?
3: I mean, first impression, yes, it was a little more up tempo, which was nice. That was good. And they did up the intensity level music and everything else or lack of music. And uh, um, it was the only time that my husband and I decided we need to watch it again right away. Oh! But what we did was the second time through, we made sure the subtitles were on and only watched um, the, we'd skip so we could get all of the prison scenes all in one story, just mm-hmm. so you can kind of get like the flow of those different scenes. And uh, so it was interesting. Yeah, there was like, you know, the little tidbits and the little call outs to the, the other shows which was nice but there were still moments where it's there's parts of it that just grayed on me i don't like i don't like some of the changes they've done to characters especially mon mothma Mm. so it'll be interesting we'll see how it goes (laughs) well we'll get into it i'm just gonna
2: ask a technical question how do you turn the the subtitles on for disney i tried once and i just got chinese symbols
3: It was like up in the corner for subtitles, and you just—it's usually off right away, and you just hit the language you want, and it pops up.
2: Okay, but but what do you what do you? I just press pause. Like, is it from the menu, or do you have to press pause and hit something? Or
3: yeah, usually I think
1: like if you're using a remote, you've got to like go down.
2: Yeah, you I mean, down
1: arrow or your up arrow. I forget which one. Okay, ones, I'll, but I'll try it again. Little... I don't know
2: why I'm, like, messing it up, but I am the oldest person here. So I am, <laughs> it's okay. even though I used to be somebody who was pretty tech savvy, um, there's so many different streaming services, and they don't all have the same thing. But anyway. Yeah, I, I think I'm think up go there, to the,
3: too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I do think it's, like, on the home screen of Disney Plus where you have to go in, like, settings. So then it puts it on for all the shows, not just.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's where I got the Chinese going through there. So I was trying <laughs> anyway. I'll try it again because sometimes with the v- varied accents uh in the show and the speed of which people talk um you know you don't catch everything and so you just want to uh turn the subtitles on so you can make sure you're 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 getting it all and also it helps because it it puts their names up there sometimes so you're like yes, get used right. to who's who um and so you know that's that was helpful.
1: Oh man, yeah, we always watch with the subtitles for this particular show a first time watch with subtitles um because yeah exactly that and then also when i'm making my notes it helps a lot for me to remember these names because <laughs> they're all new and they're they're star wars names they're not normal names so <laughs> um okay my first impression um i was telling everyone kind of behind the scenes in our slack channel that um <laughs> i was just like Flaming like um, the Bendu with the the thunder and the lightning, you know, (laughs) I was was so pumped up after this episode. Um, And we'll get into kind of some of the reasons why. Um, But I mean, one of the reasons for the last couple of episodes, it's been prison and prisoners. And that's just one of the areas for whatever reason, that's just one of the areas that I've been drawn to, um, in activism and, you know, so applying Catholic social teaching. Um, so I am very passionate about those, those subjects. And I know quite a bit, at least dealing with here in the United States, the prison system. Um, so, (laughs) so I'm definitely seeing a lot, um, in, in that, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. I first actually want to get into the interrogation scene <laughs> because, um, well, it was really dark. Definitely. Um, we met Dr. Gorst and the remarkable method of torture, as I think, uh, Deirdre says, <laughs> remarkable. Um, what did y'all think? What did you learn from this scene or what impacted you about this particular scene? And- you know, in in one detail, one you know acting choice,
3: something that was said. What really stood out to you? Well, I'll go first, <laughs> if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, when they said that that was modified children's death screams, and as a mom of three grown children now, I still cannot walk through a grocery store without. Instantly reacting to a baby's cry, no matter where I hear it, Mm. it's just, oh, it hits you hard. And it's that fight or flight. And to know that they manipulated that as a torture device was just like sickening. And I'm so glad we did not have to hear it and not hearing it made it worse. (laughs) And it's kind of, is fitting for this time and place in the world where they say most people don't have enough silence in their life that actually having silence is terrifying so them having that moment of silence in the torture scene I think was probably extremely painful for a lot of younger people that are not used to silence That's a really interesting point
0: I don't know, I just you know, part of my thought too was watching this is just how friendly Dr. seemed. you know, it was like (laughs) You know, it's like he wasn't this real serious person and such, and and that actually for me made it more creepy as well. It's just, you know, it obviously seemed like he took a lot of joy in this, and then I kind of wonder though, it's like, why did they stop using this, (laughs) you know, later on because it seemed it was pretty effective and stuff. Because you know, like when you see in the original Star Wars, they go you know different route, but um, but yeah, that you know, just his character and then. Also, when I would come into uh, until episode eight, I was enjoying the Deidre character, you know, and stuff because I'm a program analyst and then seeing how she's trying to put the pieces together and you're seeing that. Well, now you see there's less gray to her character and it's, you know, and it's getting, you know, more, you know, progressively evil and stuff. And it's just, you know, she's taking a turn to not just be, you know, I I forget. Was it Catherine maybe that mentioned that she was like um Grand Moff Tarkin or something? Governor or, Price. Oh, Governor Price. Okay. Oh, yes. As somebody mentioned, too, it's like it kind of had like somewhat of a shape of like Tarkin. I did, I did. She has
2: okay. a, I think it was me. She has kind of like that sunken, uh, like <laughs> emaciated... Uh, I don't eat because I'm always working, kind of look to her that, that gave me a grandma Tarkin feel. And I got. Hey, well, she's
3: got to look good in a white shirt. So, yeah. she can't and eat.
0: I'm just yeah, saying, it's like I really saw that in this episode more, too. It's like I could see, you know, a more Tarkin kind of look towards her.
2: Yeah, especially with the getting in the face. Uh, Tarkin would like to get in the face of Leia uh, when he was trying to question her. And, um, uh, Val definitely uh like to get in the face of I'm saying Val again. Deirdre like to get in the face of Bix. Uh, I I think the doctor was interesting. He has an interesting cross between um uh, a a Nazi doctor who's in you know devising ways to torture people and the six-fingered band from uh, Princess, Bride, <laughs> Princess um, Bride, with his with his bizarre like kind of almost like casual fascination with what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And explaining to to her, similar to the six fingered man, just tell me for a prosperity stake, how do you feel, you know? And she, he's like, you might want to nod your head because it's kind of hard to speak when you hear these things, you know. At uh, and he's just like he's casually describing, you know, um, some sort of college, you know, uh, psych test that they're doing that you just that you're a volunteer for or something, and not you're about to be tortured in this horrible way. Uh, so he has, uh, yeah, he, he's. he's definitely like a psychopath in a sense that he doesn't he doesn't really have any feelings he just thinks this is kind of neat um and so yeah deirdre's character definitely became more grounded in her uh evil uh and then the doctor's character uh interesting uh Mm -hmm. the way the way they had him come out and and you wonder you know i mean the backstory like well we did these screams, but then it basically got modified to uh the the uh the torture droid that wouldn't in just inject you with making you feel like you're being tortured uh was maybe uh vader's favorite way of doing things
1: yeah more efficient maybe like faster I
2: don't know. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: <laughs> physical pain the same the
2: same thing they were gonna do to uh uh in in uh to Leia, uh, once again, uh, she, she she's always got torture droids, whether she's a little girl or a young woman uh, after her.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would say um, this scene felt almost like, I mean, it had the Star Wars flair to it with Dr. Gorst and how he was going about it. But it did feel like something that I would see in like a spy show or a movie um you know the the interrogation you know and and just by the way brilliantly acted um i i don't recall the um actress who plays bix her name i believe her first name is andrea but um fantastic yeah andrea uh
2: it's i don't know if you say the j it's a-r-j-o-n-a so it's probably aorna yeah
1: something like that okay um but yeah Awesome. Um, but what I where I was going with that is, uh, it reminded me of you know bringing up how Catherine was talking last week about how Andor just feels too real to you, and so I kind of wanted to bring that up early on in the show so that we can kind of, you know, talk like keep that in mind, and then also bringing your perspective as an artist now that everyone knows. <laughs> You are an artist. Um, So can you just kind of maybe share a little bit more about that perspective so we can kind of have that
3: going forward? Um, Yeah, it's just a lot of it comes down to do you show things as myth and mystery or do you try to show things as they are? And too often when you when you try to make something too real, the artist is showing themselves and not the truth of what the image is portraying. So, like in iconography, you know, my job isn't to present myself and my opinion about Christ. My job is to present the truth of Christ. If I put too much of myself and my opinion, I'll lose the mystery. So, that's that's part of what was bothering me about how it was it was trying to be too real. It was just mm trying to like take every concept from every day and how can we push it in front of everyone and we'll make it a star Wars story instead of let the star Wars story happen. And it will hit the truths that we face every day in a more general way where it can appeal to everyone. And I feel like the clone Wars cartoon did that best Mm. where there was a lot of heavy topics they hit on for what was supposed to be, you know, a kids show that ended up resonating so well. That's, yeah. I think is, yeah. Kind of how I see it.
1: <laughs> okay. That, that makes a lot more sense, you know, hearing it from, yeah, from your perspective as an iconographer, especially, I can see how, you know, that would definitely inform that, that perspective. Um I you know when I was reflecting on this because your your comment was just really interesting to me um I'm also I'm not in fine art but I'm in graphic design so I come from more of like an analytical perspective so I when I was in like literature class and stuff I just love to break things down <laughs> I'm very like postmodern in that perspective and so um but one of the things that I uh thought about when, you know, we've been talking about how the show's very dark, right? <laughs> that there's a lot of darkness in it. And then it makes us uncomfortable sometimes to watch it. Um, and that, you know, we've been kind of talking on the back end as panelists, sort of about how it's sometimes tough to watch this and we miss the joy from other, that we got from other Star Wars projects. So I was reflecting on that and I decided that I wanted to go read um John Paul II's letter to artists that he wrote in 1999 um to kind of see you know where did he where where did he talk about like the role of sort of darkness and showing the dark side of <laughs> the human experience you know so this is a a quote that i pulled and i i'm going to relate this to the interrogation scene because this is kind of how i see and or as art. So just my perspective. So he said, um, even when they explore the darkest depths of the soul, or the most unsettling aspects of evil, artists give voice in a way to the universal desire for redemption. And so for me, this interrogation scene is kind of like the epitome of of that because you have these beautiful i mean what's more beautiful than like voices of children right like so innocent and 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 then that would be like the light and you would have like also this light of bix and her desire for her people's liberty and you have like when i'm looking at the interrogation scene i'm also thinking about like cassian's mom you know and how much she is she loves her son she misses her husband who also seems to have been a very you know kind hearted person who was just trying to help somebody and he ended up getting you know killed for that um so it's kind of like the light and the shadow right like that's sort of how i see this show is that it, there's a lot of the shadow but when we see that suffering and that evil to me we're we're being also shown the light but not directly it's like we see that something's there that that we want you know we're so we're upset watching this show a lot of times i think because we believe that there's something right and good and it's not being shown you know like we're we're longing for it so it's that like desire for redemption or yeah that that john paul ii was talking about
3: so it's so yeah. interesting. You brought up redemption because the last episode my husband and I watched together, he was like, "Okay, I'm I'm seeing what you're seeing," and he goes, "He goes when I look at Andor, when I look at Cassian, he goes, he's trying to redeem himself instead of looking for redemption." Mm. And it's so it's like, yeah, okay. Then when you watch the scenes in the prison from that aspect, you start seeing what looks like Cassian working as a team is Cassian working for himself and using the team, Mm. which is an interesting perspective. So I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. But as far as like light and darkness goes, I'd have to say, I wish it was as light and dark contrasty as Baroque paintings Mm -hmm. where you have brilliant light and deep shadows. Mm. To me, it feels more gray, more beige. More like what happened in Poland when it was under Russian control. Mm -hmm. And they took all the color and they replaced it with gray concrete Mm -hmm. and took away as much culture as they could. And this this feels like it's because there is no force, because there is no dark side. It's like the devil hiding himself because it's better if people think he doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so it just feels... Beige. Sometimes it's just, yeah. Like I want more contrast.
1: <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I think for me the, the, just to kind of wrap up this thought and then we'll get into the other stuff. The other episode where I really saw that light and dark contrast was when they had all of the natives on the planet where they um, stormed the garrison. And they were all seeing this beautiful light in the sky, and they were like, you know, doing their, they were exercising their faith. And then there was all this darkness going on at the same time, you know, all this killing and taking advantage of and, you know, battle, you know, and, and it was just this, just this beautiful contrast that, that I saw. So going into now Mon Mothma uh we just talked about it, yeah, in our in first impressions she is experiencing that there is some darkness and gray area of what she's having to do right to in order to get the rebellion to actually make a difference here um now let's look at first of all um let's look at her in in the senate okay um She says this quote that really struck me as a Catholic, but maybe just as an American also. (laughs) Um, She said she was speaking to the senators who believe that when we enter this building, we are in a temple. Okay, so here we are, Secrets of Star Wars. What did you guys take away from that? Let's start with one of the gentlemen here, because we ladies have been talking for a while. Yeah,
2: well, <laughs> if, if you could just put a quick pin, I, I wanted to say something about the what you guys <laughs> okay. are talking about. And sometimes it's hard to get a word in edgewise when the ladies are talking. Yeah, I'm just
1: kidding. Um, <laughs> I wanna, I, we got to keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going to be talking about a lot
2: here. Yeah, no, this is real quick. I just, I saw the virtue in Bix, like her courage, her fortitude, you know, so that was a light in that darkness that she wasn't just you know giving in she was she was not going to acquiesce to the evil and also i i i thought i disagree i, I thought that Cassian got outside himself with his um compa- you know with his wanting to help uh the older guy um what's his name Olaf 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 yeah i mean he seemed like that's you know all the way down to when he died that he want you know that uh, he wanted to save him how upset he was and so that that seemed to like bring him outside of himself and see you know Um, help for others but anyway to to mon mothma um and and the temple uh of the uh the senate um yeah it's it's interesting because like you know they're they're relying on that to you know correct what palpatine has already corrupted you know um and uh you know you you i i think that you know from from a catholic and perspective and an american perspective you know we are often getting into politics as some way of uh, how we're going to save the world or how we're going to fix things. We have to get certain people voted in. We have to get certain this and that. Um, and I think an example of that as well as it's, it's obviously wonderful that uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. It didn't stop the fact that there's so many people who still think abortion is just fine, you know, from, from, you know, a pro-life perspective. So, you know, it, you can't do that. And Jesus never did. Jesus, was very careful not to get involved. In it. He basically said, "Pay your taxes," and that's all I'm saying. And <laughs> moved on. You know, he he had he wasn't going to get into political stuff. So we have to be careful of doing that. And we saw, uh, you know, obviously we know what what happens uh, that d- didn't quite work. And they ultimately had to go to their faith, um, and and in the Jedi, and also the self sacrificing heroism of Luke, of you know, constantly. Doing the opposite of Cassian, of, of relying on others, of going to um relying on Leia, relying on Obi-Wan, relying on his own father to save him and, and Jedi, you know, all that. Uh and obviously not political uh things. Matter of fact, the biggest person who thought political stuff was gonna solve everything was um Anakin. He thought, you know, I can get the ultimate political power and I can fix everything. You know, oops. That didn't work.
0: <laughs>
1: John, you have anything to chime in on this?
2: Well, I mean,
0: a part of it, you know, it's not so much on the uh, it's a little later when she's talking with Vel, and, you know, she's having her questions. And I'm going to tie it into this a little bit. It's because, you know, as the temple, because, you know, as my was talking and, you know, the commotions building in there and and then she sees how things are going later on with Vel. she's like, what have we done? And then Vel says, we've chosen a side, fighting against the dark, making something of our lives. And I think, you know, you have this, you know, when you see her at the party and stuff in the prior episode and things, you know, you have people that are concerned for their citizens and the people they represent and making sure there's no imperial overreach. And they're kind of, you know, in the sense that this is a temple and this is what we're here for. We're here for the series, you know, to do what's right. And then you have a lot of the senators who are just there for, you know, the party and the money, you know, the prestige of being there and kind of their citizens are maybe second, you know, to that part, you know, and, and I think, you know, that's where I, I kind of see that was, you know, she's taken on this bigger, you know, moral cause. And I think that's partly too why, you know, Perrin, when you see him, talking about, um, you know, things about, <laughs> you know, well, I guess those rebels should have thought about it before they took, you know, attack the, you know, um, the garrison or whatever, you know, cause, and all that kind of stuff, you know, you have the loyalists or the sympathizers to the empire, and then you have her and others like, uh, Tay, who are there to say, okay, there's going to, we got to, you know, curtail this and we have to do best for other people, because in her case, too, she's worried about all the suffering.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, Catherine, you know, as we're getting into Mon Mothma's story a little bit more, I mean, she feel free to comment on any of that, but also bringing up, you know, a lot of the gray that you're talking about. I mean, you did a great job. She's trying to uh, she's trying to do some good things. But now we've got this thug coming Mm. in also, you know, and that's a moral gray area as well.
3: Well, so far, most of what's the quote unquote rebel stuff to me just really seems morally gray right now. Um, It's interesting, though, that she said in this temple and there they are in a circular building closed in on themselves, which would be what Benedict the 16th said about when we're all facing each other for worship instead of facing God. And so you can definitely see that it's not what the Jedi temple was like with its spires pointing upward and Yoda's, you know, we're more than just this material stuff, you know, luminous beings, are we? So all of that faith has been taken away. All that religion is gone. And, it um, it feels like, you know, what would Star Wars be if we could take away religion? Hmm. If it's just, you know, written by, you know, there is no story that this is all connected to and, you know, just having that lack of faith, you know, it, it really does just point to, again, just points to our modern situation where if there is no truth, beauty, and goodness. If this doesn't point to something beyond ourselves, to the force, then this is it. And so morality becomes very much, you know, out there for grabs. It's, it's all relative. It's that dictatorship of relativism. So it's just, however, so that's why you can see, like you said, like the, the whole garrison thing in contrast to um, the Aldonians watching their beautiful sky. Um, the rebels were the ones, rebels, quote unquote, they're still mercenaries to me, or they're not quite rebels yet. Um, just going after and doing as much damage almost as what they thought they were fighting against and falling into the same trap of being what they were fighting against. So it's it's an interesting interesting thought when you think back of rebellions throughout history and, you know, are they going for the lowest form of just mercenary and destroy? Or are they more like solidarity in Poland where for years and years when they did not know, or their boundaries were not known on the map, but the Polish people knew who they were. They held on to that culture and beauty. So, sorry, I'm Polish. Also, you wouldn't know it (laughs) from the last name. So so we heard wonderful stories of Poland, and I have, uh, you know, had immigrant great-grandparents who survived a lot to come to the United States. And so it's it's an interesting play between these different moments.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of food for thought, and the show, I think, is trying to make that point. I think the show is trying to demonstrate how much gray area there really is in the rebellion, that it's not all good guys and bad guys, and that there really is some weird stuff that and, and morally questionable things that the rebels are doing. And these are the people that we were rooting for, rah-rah, you know, in the first <laughs> trilogy of Star Wars. And now we're kind of seeing, well, if you really dig into what they actually had to do to get this going... It's not so great. <laughs> um, so let's let's now swing over before we get into the prison, which is, I think, really the center of this episode. Let's swing over to a little bit more about Dedra, Lieutenant Dedra Miro, and our friend Cyril Carn. <laughs> oh, Cyril, what what's going on with this guy? What is his deal? I mean. <laughs> What is your understanding of this character? Why we keep seeing him? What What is the point of of having him as part of this story?
2: Uh, well, it has to be more than just a sycophant for uh, Deirdre. Um...
3: <laughs> I thought it was a cereal ad. <laughs> yeah.
2: And and the cereal ad, the Star Blue Milk ad. Uh, we gotta got Blue Milk. Uh, you know, it's um, but I I think we're I think it's going to be revealed. I think that he's He's somebody that's going to, you know, you know, represent um some sort of uh I don't know, twisted sense of what's right, you know, and he's is obviously he's not. Um uh, the fact that he you know has this great sense of of uh, uh from Deirdre that you know that she's some she's somebody and when I'm close to you, I you know like He's this isn't a good thing. Uh, This is, uh, you know, she doesn't like give off happy, good vibes. So I don't really know what exactly (laughs) it is other than her um, her exactness, her her um, ruthlessness, her uh, systematic way of doing things regardless, you know, which is kind of what he did, you know, uh, when he tried to take matters into his own hands. So yeah uh and um i'm I'm basically waiting for him to murder his mother too i just i don't know uh <laughs> sooner or later he's just gonna snap uh and take her out. i can like you know as uh if you ever if you had a mother that was in the least bit um uh, uh i don't know uh, what's the word i'm looking for? It's just nasty or mm-hmm. or you know but in in a uh kind of sarcastic kind of way <laughs> it brings back bad memories. My mother was wonderful. My mother was a saint.
1: (laughs) Thank you for clarifying.
2: Yeah, (laughs) she wasn't that. uh, And she definitely wasn't four feet tall like that. mother.
1: (laughs) John.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm (laughs) kind of (laughs) confused with him because it's like, I mean, he has this quote in there somewhere, something like, you know, now when he saw her, you know, being, you know, life is worth living. Being in her presence, you know, there's justice and beauty in the galaxy. You know, and it's like, you know, then I'm, I'm like, okay, is is there more to, you know, it's like, is it because, you know, he, you know, she sees Andor as a threat like he does, and that's where he connects, or is he thinking there's something more between the two, you know, it's like, and I just, you know, it's, it's just strange. And then you can <laughs> see it, well, I mean, but it takes her really off guard. Because she sees it, at least as she explains it to him, is like, look, I didn't have anything to do with the promotion. I just put in the good word and she's moved on, but he's clinging to all these things in the past, you know, his, you know, meeting with her and stuff. Cause he refers to it as a conversation and she says, no, it was just questioning, you know, and, you know, so he sees it one way and she sees it another way. And, um, I don't know. It's just, I'm not sure where he's going to go with that because, um, because I was thinking it was going to be different coming into this than than the stalker uh, mm. that he became in this episode. So,
3: yeah, Catherine, any thoughts? Oh no, it was just interesting watching him go from obsessed with Andor to obsessed with Deidre, <laughs> and then just full-on stalker mode with her. <laughs> it's just, but then it's funny because she's so much like his mother. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I definitely sense the Anakin vibes um, coming from Cyril, Uh, that that, all that obsessiveness with the past and Mm. not being able to move forward. That is what I see in him. And I think he's going to end up being this brilliant character that we're all going to look back on and say, wow, what a character. But I think it's going to take like to the end of this season, maybe even some of next season for us to really appreciate this character. But I like that I'm still, like, I have no idea what's going to happen with this guy. Especially after seeing, yeah, the stalker situation going on. Um, <laughs> and the other thing that we have with Lieutenant Miro, by the way, is we have the ISB catch one of Anto Krieger's pilots. And he talks after being tortured. And the ISB are going to stage this mechanical error on the ship and kill the pilot. and. So why are we told this information? Why, why do you think we are shown this scene? I mean, is there anything deeper than we're going to see Anto Krieger later or we're going to see that, you know, attack later on? Um, why do you think we're seeing this kind of inner
3: workings of, of the ISB? I think it's just to try to show the web they're trying to weave to catch them. You know, Deirdre wanted her fish, so she's throwing a big web. Big net.
0: <laughs> well, and too, you wonder if, you know, Luthen's. you know, has so many things out there. And, you know, he's the one kind of driving that. That's why I saw Saw Guerrero saying, hey, you want to help with this? And is it a way to, you know, capture him? Because my thought with Cyril in the past was like, maybe he'd ingratiate ingrati himself back to the em- Empire and the... ISB and stuff because I'll say, Hey, here's this voice we've got on a communication or something. Can you recognize it? And he's like, Yes, that's the voice. That's access and you know, or something like that. So you wonder, you know, with all the stuff that, you know, since this is something that he's driving uh with this other character, uh Krieger or whatever, um, you know, maybe that's how maybe they capture or they close in more in on Luther. I don't know.
2: I th- I think there's more to it. I I mean I, I I had a hard time seeing like what what exactly, you know this was about. We got this robot pilot. Now we we need to stage the this killing. Uh uh. You know, there's I think it's part of the uh, upcoming plot. Like you know how this all develops. Mm-hmm. Um, because right now that's all it seems like is just you know. Uh, like John said, casting the web or, or Catherine. So one of you guys said uh, <laughs> casting the web, uh, getting her fish.
0: Well, one thing I also wonder though, too, it's like in those scenes, you know, when she comes in after she has her experience with Cyril and they fi- she finds out about the pilot, she's like, oh, well, get Dr. Gorst and his, her assistant's like, I already sent him, you know, and he did all these things ahead of time. And then later on when they're or was it earlier on, maybe when they're explaining um you know some stuff with the with the group with Portuguese or however you pronounce his name mm-hmm. and that whole group and she's explaining what's going on. Then her assistant jumps in and he's like, and here are all the details. da 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 and I'm just kind of wondering is is he overstepping his bounds a little bit? Are we seeing a little bit of that? And I don't know. Or is it just he's excited and this is what he's supposed to do. Or is he beginning to try to take, you know, you know, some of what she's, you know, should be doing and you know, taking liberty with it. And I wonder if that was anything to do with the potential in here. Oh,
2: he's a he's a Cyril that's uh he <laughs> Cyril would love that guy's job. Right. I mean he he has the same kind of uh wide eyed enthusiasm for whatever she does that Cyril mm-hmm. does, but he just isn't right. there yet. And he like jumps up and he's like, he was shaven, you know, like what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have, you know, I mean like, okay, great. You know, and and like you said, you know, I already did that and I think he just wants the, you know, to make her happy. And okay. uh, that's the way it seems to me, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the way he is, the way he's acting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so as we've, we've gone through the, the ISB we've gone through everything else. Now I think we can get into Narkeena five. We can get into the imprisonment, what happens in the prison, because that's the real meat of this, this episode here. And I gotta say, uh listening to the last episode of the podcast and I told everybody this but I I disagreed with most of what was said <laughs> um okay so in my mind narkina 5 is not a nice place to be I do not think they're treated well there <laughs> uh it may it may look clean it may look pristine uh you know but this is kind of the whole point that the Empire... I mean, the Empire is already like that. The Empire is already, you know, nice and orderly and everything. But it's, it's meant to sort of give this impression of being more humane than they actually are. Um, and what I took away, you know, from this setup of feeding the prisoners all that they want through a tube so that they can, you know, work for the Empire... Is is definitely not not a nice thing. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. this is forced labor. You know, this is slavery. I mean, they're it's it's under it. It happens today. It's the same euphemism of giving prisoners something to do. You know, go, mm-hmm. to go outside besides their cell. You know, bottom line, they're being intimidated. They're being mm-hmm. tortured. They're being treated like slaves. They're being lied to. You know. Um, We find out in this episode, right, about what their sentence actually is. Um, George Lucas was always trying to say something with Star Wars. And I do think that this show is also trying to say something about the experience of, you know, we've talked about earlier episodes. uh, Diego Luna was talking about how he sees it as an immigrant story. So I definitely see there being immigrant themes. I see being, you know, the the prison system, those kind of themes, um, just like George Lucas made a lot of commentary about, you know, war and in um, politics and that kind of thing. Um, now, as we're learning more about narquina V, the imprisonment practices, um, what are you taking away from all of this? I mean, as we're seeing everybody, you know, being fried and... <laughs> on a daily basis, you know, not, not everybody, but the, the, the uh, folks that aren't making, they're not up to par uh, with their forced labor. Um, I mean, what, what is this saying to you about the empire? Um, What kind of gaps is it filling in for you? What are you taking away from all this
2: I, I think that they're using. They they want people in the prison, and they want them to stay there. It doesn't quite fit uh, the the k- killing because that's their their labor. But unless it's just kind of seen as they're 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 figuring things out, or they um you know they're not being cooperative, so we need to you know eliminate certain prisoners or eliminate entire populations. Um, but you know it. it it reminded me, and, and this is kind of more lighthearted than, than going to, like, Nazi Poland or something like that, but um, the the Star Trek VI, uh, uh, when they went had to go to uh, uh, Cura Pente, I forget the name of the, but it was the penal colony in the snow planet. And they like there is no guard, there is no you know signpost. It's just you know uh, if you if you break the rules, you get released into the cold and die. So it's like that's the same thing. The guys show up and you're like you notice we don't have any guns because all we have to do is turn on our little torture devices with your shoes off and and your and you suffer. So it's it's that simple. And and then and in Star Trek they made them mine the whatever was inside the the planet, and here they're making them build something. Um, so they're using the same thing and. Um, and and also there was a little bit of the matrix in there you know that they're getting fed some sort of weird thing through a tube so they can be batteries and matrix and here they're getting fed some weird things tube the tubes so they can be forced labor so it has that science fiction obviously feel uh this is science fiction um but uh yeah i never get any sort of comfort or <laughs> like i don't know like your little pod where you get the uh, i mean i don't know it was just Rather, no horrible, <laughs> rather horrible. Rather uh, horrible. You know, uh, yeah, uh, didn't didn't look uh, look too good to me.
3: Yeah, it just didn't uh, never looked like a good place to be, and they were mentally and physically torturing people daily. Um, the scene where the power dims when they're all in the walkways was really powerful. Um, made you think about like any other movies where you see the prisoners knowing the power of dim is because someone was executed in other movies. Um, there were still, again, a lot of uh, Shawshank tie-ins, which I thought were interesting. Um, you definitely have Olaf as Brooks in this one. And uh, what's his name? Zal as Hayward. There's that scene in Shawshank where Brooks did not want to be paroled because they said he was institutionalized. And so he tried stabbing Hayward. And then in Andor, you have Olaf almost done and Zal, who reminds, I mean, he's where he looks like he could be Hayward, um, <laughs> actually supporting Olaf so that he doesn't get fried at the end of the shift. So in a way, it's funny because they're both being used to keep them there in prison. And I thought that was interesting. Um, The thing that was most interesting for me with all of this was, and another Shawshank tie-in was um, Cassian going and opening the wall and behind the wall, slowly working his way through the the hydraulic pipe. It seems like a hydraulic pipe anyway. So very much like Andy working his way through the wall in uh, Shawshank. So you can tell that he's definitely... Concerned about how long things take. And I I think that had a lot to do with, um, with Olaf trying to time things. They know when he's getting out. So trying to time things with when Olaf gets out, because then they know there'll be an exchange on this day at this time. And I think they're just trying to coordinate it to fit with that time period.
2: If only they would have had a poster of, uh, Princess Leia and her metal bikini over the over the thing he was, uh, you know, oh uh, my gosh. it would have been wow. <laughs> oh <laughs>
1: Instead my of reading a and all
2: those other things that they had. Shawshank. I, would wow, have I didn't notice so that. I hard. love Shawshank and I didn't notice any of those. So those are really, that's really amazing. There's a lot of that in there. That's neat.
0: Well, I mean, I think too, it's, you know, what's interesting is how Andor, you know, he sees how already what it is and. You know, like with Melshi too. He's like Melshi's right. You know, you know we're cheaper than droids, droids, and easier to replace. And was it Melshi that also said, you know, they'll let you go when they want you to let go. Don't count down the time or something. And I think, you know, then Kino is it is that uh, Andy Serkis Andy Circus's character character yeah. is uh is in denial because he's thinking, gosh, you know, Olaf is almost done. Then it'll be me. And then, you know, and then when you have it, then what, what really hit me was when the med tech shows up and they say, okay, well, just help him. And he's like, I can't help him. I can't help anyone. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, to me, that sounded like his goal wasn't to, if somebody's hurt, to get them healthy. It was just euthanize them so they can get somebody who hel- who is healthy in. And, and you know, and you could tell the med tech wasn't, you know, he wasn't exactly keen on doing that. I mean, he, you know, he wanted, I think he wanted to help him, but, you know, he's just like, well, I'll just help, you know, I'll put him out of his pain and suffering now and stuff too. So, but it was just, but that kind of hit home. And then that's when, of course, then Keno is like, wait, you know, nobody's getting out of here. And, you know, he changes his tune. But yeah, I mean, if you think you have a chance to get out after so long, then that makes the prison look like, okay, it's, it's bad, but at least there's a, you know, a goal and an end game in in this. But when it becomes, okay, that light at the end of the tunnel is never going to get closer. Then you just, then that makes you sink in and says, okay, yeah, this really is bad. This is even worse than we thought, you know, kind of thing.
1: Right. It's, it's the conversion of Kino. It's him, Saying, you know, I he was part of the system. I mean, Mm -hmm. he is. He's the floor manager. So he has to believe in the system, right? He has to understand that if he does what he's supposed to do, that everything will go according to plan. Mm -hmm. And he just has to rely on that. But the fact is now that he has this new information that just totally throws off his whole worldview, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. his worldview for however long (laughs) has been you follow the rules you'll you'll wind up okay you'll get out and and now it's it's something else um but i mean i i think he is he is that character that um is sort of the the foil character uh mm-hmm. for for Cassian for a lot of this um and he because he's so tied into the system and and it's to him that, that Cassian is yelling, nobody's listening, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody's listening. And, you know, I just, I love that about these two in particular mm-hmm. is that they're, Cassian is very much, how can I cheat the system? How can I get around the system? How can I make this system work for me and my my goals? Um, and and Kino just has to be
3: invested in it. But now we'll see kind of where he goes from here. Well, Kino is playing a game and it's interesting. I coach volleyball. And one of the things we learned in the coaching class was it's important to teach your players to honor the rules because it honors the game. And so Kino is definitely trying to hold that up as best he can is honor the rules. He wants to win this game because he knows the ultimate win is getting out. But I think the thing that really broke him was finding out that people got reshuffled to another mm-hmm. floor, and that's that's what killed him. Mm. That all that honoring of the game and the rules was just for nothing.
2: And his name is Kino, which is a game. <laughs> um, but I mean, what what is happening in the prison, and what Kino realizes is, is exactly what Luthen tried to set in motion—that uh, you you can't. The, you know, this isn't something you can just follow the rules and everything and be okay, that they're slowly crushing you to death and you don't even realize it. Uh, and so, you know, the the very actions of the empire to double the prison sentences and everything that they were doing um, worked, uh, you know, according to Luthen's plan of let's uh, make them react in such a way that people realize what's actually happening.
1: Yeah. So, So I do think that um, as far as Cassian goes, because this is Andor after all, the series, um, as far as, as his character is concerned, I my impression has been, again, based off of that background, understanding of him as someone who was ripped from his home, um, has never been fully at home anywhere, um, that he's been all about Yes, survival, but only because the system, right, has never worked for him. And so he's been trying to just get to that resort planet that he was on <laughs> for, you know, Miami planet or something for for however long. But the thing is, he still wasn't happy there because he knew that he was he, he had a target on his back. He knew that his mom was by herself, you know, surrounded by the Empire. And so the thing is, he couldn't have the peace that he wanted. You know, he thought he could just trick the system and he would get what he wanted in the end. But the system is broken and he can't, right? So it all goes back to that. It all goes back to you have to, you have to change the system. Right, you you can't continue to operate in this unjust imperialist environment.
3: Right, and he has yet to have faith in something beyond himself. Yet, well, I think he loves his parent, his mom. I mean, I think that he loves his
1: sister. I mean, obviously. well, you can you can
3: love someone but not have faith in something beyond yourself. You know, like you can you can love someone and still not have that faith that there's something greater than that, within, that physical thing that's right in front of you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's sort of, to me, that's sort of a, how do you say it? Like from an in, immigrant perspective, you, yes, you can have God, right? You, you can believe in God, but in this godless situation of star Wars, right? Like, uh, without the force um he his only his his goal his transcendent I guess is freedom right is is liberty and the thing is that he'll never have that so that's that's kind of how I'm sort of reading that um that in in the context that I guess that we're in so um how are they going to get out (laughs)
2: well they 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 note somehow that the things that move can't shock you uh the the elevator and then the little platform thing so something about getting the guard uh while he while they're on the platform or getting to that platform and uh he's talking to that other i I'm, I can't remember is the person he's talking to. Uh, during that last prisoner exchange or, or, you know, drop off. Was that one of the people at his table or was that someone else? you remember a
3: a table next to him?
2: Yeah, I thought so. It wasn't it was same one. So someone he's kind of found out might be interested in doing the same thing. But I mean, that's not much of a plan. Okay, they don't get shocked when that moves. I don't know. (laughs) I I, I would not try to escape. I'd still be like locking into I'm going to get out of here in 742 more shifts. You know, I, I don't know how well I would be. Um, working on a plan to get out. Although I might follow them if they did uh, have a plan. But uh, yeah, that doesn't seem. It's going to be difficult. <laughs> I, and I don't know what 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 is he cutting in that behind that board. I mean, what's the point? There's is he is he trying to short circuit something? Uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure what that is. And they do have toilets in Star Wars now, at least we know. We can... yes. yes. Aren't
1: they called refreshers? <laughs> <laughs> apparently, there's there are two different things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really don't know how they're going to get out because that place looks like a huge maze. I mean, uh, apparently the whole planet is... A prison? I don't know. <laughs> so, I'm um, not sure how they're going to do this by themselves. But it will definitely be uh, a a high pa- you know, high impact episode. Um, whenever that happens, if that happens this season, maybe it won't. Maybe maybe we're meant to think it's going to happen next episode, and
3: something else will come up. So.
2: Do Do you think the what they're building is of, of anything of significance, or that's not the point?
3: Oh, I think it's definitely Death Star parts.
2: Yeah, that's what he, it's got to be. It's got to be absolutely got to be the Death Star, something of that magnitude with that many people building the same thing. It's got to be some sort of skeletal, you know. I was kind of thinking it would be cool if they were building those windows with the with the big, you know, oval um, lights that are on the Death Star everywhere. Like if it's something that really looked Death Star like, you know. But they could be building the dish. Maybe they're maybe all those things are part of the ultimate weapon. I don't know. But that's what I was thinking too, the Death Star.
3: That's what they're always been looking for in, in the books anyway, that are supposedly canon, that they've been following the the paper trail of where's all the, the metal going from the mining operations.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. John, any, any uh, IT insights into uh, whether this is Death Star parts or not? Uh,
0: I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's just, somebody said last week or something, I think that's just cogs in the machine or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's like it it could be something for the Death Star, but it could also just be, you know, we need something done. And, you know, this is just the labor to make them do it. It's my, you know, I don't know, just to keep. But I would think it has to be the Death Star, you would think, with the the amount that they're putting into it.
1: Yeah. Okay. well, any final thoughts? I feel like this conversation's (laughs) flown by, but... And well, anything else we didn't we didn't comment on?
0: Well, one thing I want to comment on is I like the title of this episode. Nobody's listening. But it uh, it kind of sums up to me what like the first eight or nine episodes should be called. Because, you know, Mon Mothma probably thinks nobody's listening to her in the Senate. Cyril didn't think anybody was listening to him after his thing. And he got frustrated. Deidre initially didn't think people were listening to her and, you know, eventually she got vindicated with that. But, um, you know, Cassian of course doesn't think they're listening, but he's thinking that's a good thing, (laughs) you know, because we can do things without, you know, them listening. But even Bix, you know, she was, she was depressed when she didn't think, you know, when they hung up on her and they weren't listening. And it was just like, that was, it's just like, seems to be a theme throughout all this stuff. It's like, when there are people listening and there to help there's hope but when there's nobody listening a lot of times it's just despair you
2: know? the the theme of the prison too. uh i'm sorry you didn't ask me for my final thoughts no um, <laughs> but i'll i'll just jump in i'm just, <laughs> <laughs> sorry um but th- there's just different things i i love the shot uh when um vale and i can finally say vale cuz I'm, I'm talking about the right person um uh leaves um Mon Mothma's place and she's standing there in this beautiful symmetrical shot of the uh, of the door inside the door and and, and her gown and everything and it's all really nice looking but she's in prison. She's uh, the prison of the Senate uh, the prison of her doting husband who got all the kids against her because daddy will let me do anything Um, (laughs) and uh, you know just that was just so apparent uh, that I, I thought that was Interesting to look at what she's going through, and as I, I accidentally hit on her, the actress who plays her, and she was born in uh, January of seventy-seven, just like months before the original Star Wars came out. So, so that was kind of that was kind of cool too, just as a a little side note. And I am enjoying her character. I uh, I I like to see how that's moving along, and I, I think for me it's because, as I mentioned in the last uh, couple podcasts ago, um, she's a connection to the original trilogy. You know, she's. The, uh, and she's the one that wins out. I mean, she's still standing when the, the second Death Star is uh, blown up. At least I I think she is. I don't know if she was on one of those ships that got destroyed. But, you know, she was still there. So uh, that's uh, so I enjoy how her character is trying to navigate through all this. Uh, the And the prison of her own money. She can't even get her own money to where she wants <laughs> it to be, you know.
1: Yeah. Catherine, your final thoughts.
3: So one thing I did just before... We got talking today was I zoomed in on Mon Mothma's brooch that she's wearing when she 's in the Senate, and it's a very interesting one because I also wanted to compare it to the one that's on her necklace in when she's on her white gown in uh, the original movies, and they're different. but the thing that was interesting about the the square brooch that she was wearing is it almost seems like a mother and child, so there's uh, what looks like a larger head with rays reaching down and then a smaller one below with arms reaching up, which kind of looks a lot like um, the Jedi symbol and the rebellion symbol. But this seemed more mother and child. And I was like, oh, how fitting, because she's like the mother of the rebellion. And then on top of it, they had her in blue and white, which is how Mary is shown in a lot of icons. So, you know, showing her, uh, transcendent divinity and her purity and so i thought that was kind of interesting and then not to mention she's a redhead so she's got passion so <laughs> but i thought that was just an interesting image just to kind of like oh that's that's kind of cool so I'd be interested to see who made that brooch and what their intent was that is cool thank you for sharing that
1: um and thank you all for for all of your thoughts um lucky for us we do have people listening. So <laughs> to all of you listeners out there, please email us your thoughts about Andor. Um, you can do that at Wars at sqpn.com, or you can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media. Leave a comment there, or you can simply tweet us, if you're still on Twitter, at sqpn, and be sure to share the podcast on social media. Um, now, each and every one of us definitely owes a thank you to some people that have been listening for a while, and not only listening, they're making this podcast possible, our patrons. Uh, we want to give a special shout out today to Patrick D., Beverly K., Eric E., and Brian S., and you too can help StarQuest continue our mission by being a patron. Sign up at sqpn.com give. All right. Well, of course, you know, you can find Secrets of Star Wars and subscribe on your favorite uh, podcast uh, platform. You can also find us at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And please do rate and review the show to help us get Secrets of Star Wars seen by more people who would be interested in listening. All right. So next week we will uh, be back to take a deeper look at what I think will be a very exciting 10th uh, episode of andor but until next time uh, mike Dens, thank you for joining us in sharing the secrets of star wars
2: thanks for listening everybody
1: <laughs> and Catherine laffrey thank you for adding to our uh, panels feminine genius oh, thank you nice to be another girl on the panel
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and john welcome aboard thank you for joining us as well
0: thank you it was fun
1: once again, I'm Angela Cialana. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest.
0: Here's another show on the StarQuest network you're sure to enjoy. Raising the Bets. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S bets.